This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We are part two, a message that's been brewing in me for about a year. Uh, I make no apologies for the fact I hate cancel culture with every ounce of my being. And uh, calm down because that... The message until Renee spoke last week, I sat in here for all three of Renee's messages and uh, deeply convicted. Would you raise your hand if you were deeply convicted? Okay. If you disagreed, would you raise your hand? Let me just... Okay. Uh, Well, the message before Renee's... My message today before Renee spoke last week was called Three Reasons Why I Hate Cancel Culture. And uh, you can see it changed a little bit. But I still was able to keep the word kill. Uh, in it. Kill stayed in there. So how many of you had a mom growing up that when you came home and said somebody was bullying you or picking on you, what'd your mom say? Okay. It was only my mom. So I can attribute this to my mother. She was the original with kill him with kindness, kill him with kindness. And that's what we're going to do because I want to give cancel culture a painful death. That's my flesh. But as followers of Jesus, I'm not going to be a part of the outrage machine. Uh, I want to be a follower of Jesus that knows clearly why we do not cancel people and why we believe that the gospel changes people's lives. And it's why we know that when we enter into conversations and things that are going on in culture, that there's a way that we do it. Would you raise your hand if your mouth has ever got you in trouble? Would you just go ahead and raise your hand? Okay, it's all of us. Yes. We say and do stupid things all the time. How many of you would say it's somebody you know more than you that gets in trouble with their mouth? Would you? Okay, good. I just want to thank you for your honesty. I love when husbands and wives both raise their hand. Yes. Uh, scripture puts it this way, and this is where we want to start. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: The tongue has the power of life and death. We know that our mouths are powerful, but we're really only doing one or two things when we speak. We're either bringing life or death. When we enter into conversations, no matter what the conversation's about, are we going to bring life to that conversation or will we kill that conversation? Uh, We go online and post, we're either going to bring life online or we're going to bring death. We comment on someone else's post, we're either bringing life or death. And as we jump into this, how should a Christian respond to cancel culture? How should we Uh, move forward with this. And I want to start by just giving some examples. And by the way, the last year gave us plenty of examples almost daily. You would turn on the news to figure out who or what are we canceling today? We aren't aren't short on illustrations. I'm going to share just a couple of them with you. And the first one was sad for me when this was trying to get canceled. I felt very protective for my friend, Mr. Potato Head. Because I, you know, because they don't want gender-specific toys anymore, but I use Mr. Potato Head to teach my children about gender. And some of you are well invested in Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, but cancel. That's what we said about him, right? Cancel. In the first service, I had a whole bit on these four pictures and nobody got it. They thought I was canceling these people. And I had a couple down here. Every time I went canceled, they were like, oh, and you could see it. They like got mad. I had to pause in the middle of the 830 service and go, this isn't me. I'm not canceling these people. Cancel culture is canceling these. So 
It's, I don't know where you've been the last year, uh, but a lot's been going on. You know, get out from underneath your rock and pay attention. Anyway, see what happens? I shouldn't be teaching on this. We should have Renee here for a second Sunday. I'm so wound up over cancel culture. And I sleep on one of these every night. I have a my pillow. I love my pillow. I, I don't go to the chiropractor as much. But he got a little too passionate about voting irregular. Canceled. Right? We're done with it. Right? Well, what? And now it's costing literally, I've heard somebody told me today, billions. Canceled. We're done with you. We don't like you. We don't agree with you. Go away. Just go away. Oh, and then Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Pervert. Cancel. Right? Next one, last one. I'm going to give you a bunch, but I had to keep these clean for a mix. Oh, yeah, green eggs and ham. Cancel. You're nonsensical rhyming. I mean, I, we could sit up here, we'd go through 30 minutes of this, and it'd spin you all up and work you all up. <laughs> we don't need to do any, I'm sorry, we don't need to do any more of that, as this church will soon be canceled. Uh, I promised myself 10 was going to be calmer, and it ain't, it ain't. It ain't working out that way. But here's what cancel culture does. Let's just break it down a little bit. T- cancel culture targets people. So today we're not, we're not going to talk about brands and we're not going to talk about cartoons. We're going to talk about people and why follower of Jesus. We don't cancel people ever. We don't cancel. But people get up online. and I, I, There's this one person online that, uh, that I've been following that Amy's asked me to stop following because it just... It, it, triggers me. I just, I can't, I can't help. But this person like gets up every day and targets someone new and not just target someone new. Then the next part is you got to dig up their past. So my question for you is how far do you want me going back in your past to dig something up? How far you want me going back? College? High school? And the recent high school graduate? No, fresh start. I just graduated. (laughs) Nothing that happened in high school will ever be held against me. And, and then I just remember we watched American Idol, and, and then one of the top five, there was a young man in there that was removed from the show for something that he posted. It was an inappropriate. It was a terrible post. But he posted it when he was 12. 12. And I go, Amy, is this where we're at? Now we're going to cancel 12 people doing stuff when they're 12? I thought college was safe. I thought high school was safe. I definitely thought elementary school was safe because you all, I just am going to share this. I'm I'm going to speak for every single person in here. You did stupid stuff when you were in elementary school. You were ignorant in junior high. This guy's really with me. Yes, I was. I didn't. And I haven't smoked it since, honey. It's not happened since. How far are we going back? But it's not, just, it's not just that anymore. And this is why we're canceling people left and right because there's this intense pressure. Why? Because we have to work up a mob, Twitter mob or social media mob or just online frenzy, get people all worked up. And as we saw last week, Renee shared it perfectly. It doesn't need to be true. It just needs to be told. It doesn't have to be accurate information at all. We're just done with you. And then bottom line is we are going to destroy your reputation and career. And I think Pastor Scott Saul's good Presbyterian preacher breaks this down for us so well. This is one of the best definitions I've read in a long time on cancel culture. And here's what he says. Even when a person's overall history, accomplishments, and personal character are laudable, a negative word spoken these days can swiftly reduce him or her to a single defining worst moment. 
To make matters worse, a damning narrative doesn't even have to be true anymore to ruin a person's good name. In many cases, it's only got to be told. In a quick flash, a voice is discredited and silenced, influence is lost, and career and reputation are destroyed. You're done. And even if you don't hear it in the message, it's definitely in the tone. I've had some people lately, when I I posted on this months ago, they pushed back all the benefits of cancel culture. And I'm going, yeah, you ain't getting me on that train. I, I, I ain't coming along. Because even if it's not spoken, it's the tone of cancel culture. And here's what it says. It's too late. I don't care what you do. It's just too late. It's too late. Your offense is too great. We can't have this. It goes against social norms. And what you said, what you did. I, an actor recently was promoting his movie, and he referred to Taiwan in the wrong way that offended China. And, and you can tell, I went back and watched it this week. He wasn't making a political point. He made a mistake. And you could just see it like, what? Nope, it's just, it's too great. It goes on. And then I love that you can't change. As a, a counselor of couples, this, I hear this all the time. He can't change. She can't change. And we need to know the difference between someone can't change and someone won't change. Because I believe every single person in here, and my Bible teaches that every single person in here can change. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 4, if you are among the living, you have hope. You can change. Now, maybe you won't. You refuse to. You choose not to. But it ultimately comes down to you're done. We don't go away. We don't want to hear from you anymore. How many of you remember going to the principal's office? Would you raise your hand? I spent a little bit of time in in the principal's office. I became close with almost every principal of every school I attended. And you're like, shocker, I'm really surprised uh, by that. And what got me into the principal's office? It wasn't these. (laughs) It was this. I was a a, a lover, not a fighter. Uh, I was a mouthy student. But I had great principles. I think we have great principles in this church. Could you imagine, though, walking into your principal's office after you said or did something, and your principal starts right off with, well, did you have hopes and dreams for the future? (laughs) And you're like, yeah, well, they die here and now. (laughs) You're done. But I just called him a name. Sorry, go stand in the corner. For how long? The rest of your life. You're not going to college. You're not getting a job. Nothing meaningful will ever happen to you. And you're like, what? what? We would all agree that's a terrible principle. What's a good principle? A good principle says, what did you? I heard what you did. Your teacher told me what you did. Wrong. And guess what? I'm going to discipline you. There's consequences for what you did. I can go through all of the consequences I received from elementary through high school. But never was the tone of this is so bad. You're done. You're completely done. You know what's? I love that these are more than words. They're central to our faith and who we are as people who believe the gospel and walk with Jesus. I love, look at these words. Let them just rest over you right now. Repentance, confession, forgiveness, redemption, restoration, reconciliation. We believe this. We believe you can confess your sins. We believe you can repent of your sins, repent of your wrongdoing. Find ultimate forgiveness from your Father in heaven. We believe you can be reconciled to your Father in heaven. We believe relationships can be reconciled. We believe that. 
This is why we don't cancel people. When the Bible talks about sin, it talks about it in terms of debt. Jesus used this example often, debt, a certificate of debt. Someone has to pay for this wrongdoing. Someone has to pay for your sin. Someone has to pay for my sin. And can we not all say amen to the fact Jesus paid for me? He paid the price. We read in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, when you were dead in your sins and in, your, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. And the idea is here of taking your debt, your sin debt, tearing it up and nailing it to the cross, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The problem with us, though, is when some... See, I can talk all day long about the sin you committed against your spouse, the sin you committed against a parent or a child, and talk about how it's forgiven. But doesn't it change when that sin comes against me? When you sin against me, ooh, now, it's, now you have a certificate of debt that I want you to take care of. And see, when someone sins against us, they must pay. Oh, they must pay. You know what holding a grudge is? Holding a grudge is simply demanding payment. That's it. And I'm going to hold this grudge. I'm going to stonewall you. I'm going to avoid you. I'm going to send you to the corner for the rest. I don't want anything to do with you. You must pay. The problem is, how do they pay? Timothy Keller puts it this way. This is how we want them to pay. When someone seriously wrongs you, there is an absolutely unavoidable sense that the wrongdoer owes you. It's like you wrote out a certificate of debt when you're offended or hurt and you hand it to them. They owe you. The wrong has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. Anyone who has been wronged feels a compulsion to make the other person pay down that debt. We do that by hurting them, yelling at them, making them feel bad in some way, or just waiting and watching and hoping that something bad happens to them so we can feel better. I think this is one reason why divorce is so ugly and so nasty. Because we, we, we don't, we got to keep in mind, it, it's, it's pain and it's hurt. And now what you're feeling towards the next spot, you want them to pay for what they said to you, what they did to you, how they hurt you, how they left you, how they abandoned you. And we hand them a certificate of debt. Only after we see them suffer in some commensurate way do we sense that the debt has been paid and the sense of obligation is gone. The sense of debt, liability, and obligation is impossible to escape. Anyone who denies it exists has simply not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. We want people to pay, and that's why cancel culture has taken it to a whole other level. What we're saying is there is no way for you to pay. We're just done with you. We want nothing more to do with you. But follower of Jesus, this is not, this is not how we move forward. Bottom line for the morning is we don't cancel people because Jesus canceled our debt. We never cancel people. What's the difference? Because we, we talk a lot in this church about walking away from toxic people. Gary Thomas was here last year. He spoke on that in his book, When to Walk Away, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. A year before that, we shared out of his book. What's the difference between walking away? Because I've wrestled with it this week and canceling someone. 
Canceling someone in message or in tone says there's no hope for you. We're done with you. What you did is too great. You're done. Go away. But when you walk away from a toxic person, you're leaving room for God to work. Realizing that that person can change. I believe that. I believe toxic people can change. Some would disagree with me on that. But I walk away. I create boundaries. I, 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 I create a safety for myself. I'm able to walk away. But it is different than canceling someone. We don't cancel people because Jesus canceled our debt. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 18. We're going to look at verses 23 through 35. It's this great parable. We call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I love these kingdom stories. They're really, they're earthly stories, but with kingdom meanings. And every time you read a parable, you got to figure out where do I fit in here? What, What is Jesus saying to me? Which character am I? This is one of the easier parables to identify who you are in the story and who I am in the story. Far easier to identify because what we're going to see is the settling of accounts. We're going to see Jesus using this idea of, of debts and debts being paid back and how you and I have had this great debt forgiven by God because of the work of Christ Jesus on the cross for us. And yet we turn around and look at people and say, I can't forgive that. So I, I was going to say, try to find yourself in the story. I'm just going to tell you who you are in the story as we read through it. So let's do this. Matthew 18, 23 through 34. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, that's how you know it's a parable. And we're going to get a story, a great story that teaches us and explains to us, convicts us of our sin and what needs to change in our lives. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And here's really what you need to know. Whatever your translation uses for the, the, the debt there, the settlement there, the money there, just write in your Bible, impossible to pay. Too great an amount to pay. Large amount. Since he was not able to pay... And by the way, that's you and I were not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and that all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The, the, master's, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. That's you and that's me. Our Heavenly Father, because of the work of Christ Jesus, has canceled our debt. Now, what do we do in understanding that and recognizing that and walking in that? Well, understand, believers in Christ Jesus, we are not debt collectors. It is not our job to walk around and collect debt that people owe us. And again, keep the word picture here. Someone sins against us. It's not our job to go make them pay. But watch what happens with this one who's had this great debt forgiven. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a manageable amount, an amount that could be repaid. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So someone's saying exactly to him what he said to the king. But he refused. Let's pause right there. That's, that's, <laughs> we are demanding something from people that has been forgiven 
in us by our heavenly father. We refuse. We refuse to forgive them. We want them to pay. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And here we're going to get in verse 35, a warning of discipline. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And this is why, it's like this whole parable is summed up in one line in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus sums it up this way. When you pray, Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts. That's us praying to our Heavenly Father. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our transgressions. Forgive us our sin as we also, the second half of the parable, forgive those who have sinned against us, our debtors. Forgive us And we forgive others. But how many of us can sit in worship service after worship service after worship service, sing praises to our Heavenly Father for how forgiven we are and how He has cared for us and how He didn't cancel us. He canceled our certificate of debt, but He didn't cancel us. We're forgiven and we're reconciled to the Father. And then we leave here. We're not even gone 30 minutes praising our Father for that. We're not gone 30 minutes before we are holding a grudge and demanding repayment from someone else. Wanting them to hurt. This is why you hear pastors say this a lot. Like I need this message more than anyone. A lot of times they're lying, right? They're not, that's not true. Uh, it's a preacher thing you learn in seminary and it's just, they use it, they use it too much. Uh, that's why I don't use it. You need it more than I do. Uh, with it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, just, I know I need everything. I, but this is why I've really been struggling with this because I have not been kind in cancel culture. I have a friend right now who's an author who another author just feels like this author is trying to cancel this person. And it's just, it's infuriating. And, and I am sticking up. And this person's older than I am. And she goes, you're, you're kind of acting like an older brother to me, you know, defending me and protecting me. I go, it's just not right. This is what Renee talked about last week. It's our job. to. Mm, it's not right. We're going to fix this, and we're going to fix it now. I'm taking her down, taking her down to Chinatown. We're going to take this thing out. Right? I, that's where I'm at, though. I'm frustrated. I'm mad. I'm angry. She's been the one getting the cancel, getting the venom, and all that coming out. She's the one coming back to me. Ted, kindness. Kindness. Uh-uh, this isn't how we act. To just calm down. Settle down. Don't poke the bear. I'll be honest with you. I love poking the bear. I love poking the bear. I love stirring it up. Amy and I, we get into conflict, right? And I'm a, I typically, I withdraw. That's what's funny. And when it comes to fight or flight, Amy's fight, I'm flight. I withdraw. She escalates. I like to get out of the room, but I like to stir it up a little bit before I get out of the room. Then I get out of the room as quickly as possible. So I know we're, I know we're all dealing with this. I have to show kindness in the midst of people wanting to cancel other people. And when cancel culture finds its way into the church, people canceling people, that's a song right there, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> my son this week got his driver's license, and I love that he, he talks to Siri all the time. And, and uh, he talked to Siri, and he, and he was trying to get directions to the license plate. And he said these words into Siri, and I had a moment. He said, take me to Cracker Barrel. 
And I go, you just wrote a country song right there. That, I can't believe that country song hadn't been written yet. But, but it, Carson and I were driving down the road. We're talking about this, and I'm just saying, you know, because his generation has a very different opinion of all of this because he's watching his dad deal with this. Huh. And whenever my kids call me, not dad, but Pastor Ted, I know exactly what they're saying. They're saying, we're watching this. Do you want us to film this for the congregation? Do you want them to see what you're saying about this person in I- from Iowa in front of you right now? Do you want them to see that? I wish I would have got that horn honk on the... On the, the on tape. See, that's even my... Te- my te- on tape. <laughs> on tiki-tock or whatever. Anyway, so... So, we're going off the rails here, people. We got to get focused here. We got a few more things to say. Great article this week. Frank Viola wrote this article on kindness, the forgotten Christian virtue. And, and, he, and he said this, and I think, I think sometimes the younger generation is looking at the older generation in the church. And Renee was talking about how we interact with the culture, but how do we interact with each other as well? And he says, Christians have a reputation for being judgmental, self-righteous, hateful, and mean-spirited in the eyes of many unbelievers. Yeah, I don't want it. And that's why I sat down there in Renee's talk, three talks last week, convicted, going, yes, he's right. He's right. He's right. I'm not going to be a part of the outrage. I'm not going to participate. I'm going I'm to back away from it. He goes on to say the gospel calls us to be redemptive voices. There's that tongue bringing life. Redemptive voices to that which is broken, not participants in it. Bringing death to more people. Death to organizations. Death to businesses. I want nothing to do with it. He goes on. He breaks it down. I wish I could give you the whole article. But he said, kindness is not a random act. And we say that. Random acts of kindness. But... You know, doing something nice, paying for someone's coffee that you don't know, let's just be honest, that's pretty easy. They haven't wronged us. They haven't done anything. Kindness is like being kind to someone who's wronged you, being kind to someone who's trying to take you out, that's very different. He said kindness is fierce, brave, and daring. He said, don't teach your kids anymore to be nice. Teach them to be kind. Because niceness is just kindness minus conviction. We, we know who we are. Kindness is a call to sacrifice, to embrace discomfort, and to put action behind our words. So what conversations will you enter into this week? Colossians 4, 5 through 6 gives us a great understanding of bringing life to our conversations, bringing life to our posts, bringing life to our comments and our remarks and our little jabs here. Bring kindness to those moments. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I just want to leave you with two practical ways that we can do this. And these are ways that I've tried to practice. I'm not, I'm not posting as much online because I, I can't. I, I, I have to, you're like, well, why not? Because this one right here. Restrain your words when they are true and necessary, but not kind. Mm, I got a lot of things to say. I do. I, I have a lot of opinions. I don't know if you know that. I got a lot of opinions. And I'm usually 99.9% correct. And if you would just think like me, 
<laughs> and vote like me and do everything. And it's necessary. That, Renee really hit that last week, right? This is how we got to stand up. And I know my friends in here, you're, you're like, I know what happened in the 2020 election. And doggone it, I'm going to do something about it. I'm right. I got proof. And I'm going to save our democracy. <laughs> you're forgetting this one here. Don't forget this one. Being kind. Scripture says it this way. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. And some of you are going, you should really meditate on that verse this week. <laughs> even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Practice that this week. You don't, I, love, I don't know who said it originally but you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. You don't. You're like, but someone has to stand up for the cause or not. Just, just don't, just restrain your words. And, or, or backspace, 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 delete until it's true, necessary, and kind. That's why I haven't been posting. <laughs> haven't been able to really nail that last one. Because it can be sharp. We know this. We all know this. And if you do, if you are ready to speak, use words that give life, not death. Proverbs 16, 24 reads, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy to the body. You, th- I love this because it actually, kind words, helps us physically. You can, you can literally help yourself and others by the way that you speak. And the light that you bring. And that's why when you leave today, you're going to get a themed uh, message. I've got to find the other piece of it. Look at the Bibles. I had it in the first service. Oh, I lost it. Anyway, you're going to get a honey stick with this card. And it's got Proverbs 16, 24 on it. And on the back, just a note that you know you need to write. It's time to just, just practice it a little bit. Practice. You keep the honey stick in your Bible or somewhere close to remember, to pray for the person that you sent the kind words to. But, and then maybe there's just no agenda at all. You're just sending a kind word, encouraging someone. Because you know this. And Renee talked about this last week. There's so much still lingering after the pandemic. People are catching up. People, people are quitting jobs that they're being asked to come back to the office because they just want to stay home. I mean, there's people dealing with anxiety and depression. And how do we enter back into social life and learn to smile again? I mean, how do we do all that? People are dealing with real hard stuff. And Scripture says this. Anxiety weighs down the heart. Look for the person who's weighed down this week. Speak a kind word to cheer them up. Simple, easy, quick way to bring life. May we never cancel people because Jesus canceled our debt. May we be people, may we be followers of Jesus who speak life. And I'm asking the Lord, use this. I mean, Renee's message has been a sacred echo all week for me that we would take the word of God today Apply it and run with it in our lives. So be sure to grab this on your way out. Would you pray with me? Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we thank you for uh, how you continue to work in us and through us. And I ask for me and I know countless others, calm us down uh, when it seems every day we have a new example of this, uh, that we would speak what's true, necessary, and kind, that we wouldn't miss that kind piece. And then that we just learn restraint. We want to be wise. 
uh, in the way we enter conversations. So let our conversations this week be gracious and attractive to those and not adding to the outrage and fueling the outrage. I pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus that today their certificate of debt would be taken care of by the cross, that they would repent of their sins, they would believe Jesus is Lord, and that he's been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said,